oh, we've gone, we took a far turn from reality and I don't like it. This right. is episode 110 of No Crisis Yet. I am John Lynch. I'm Ben Brown. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, we were going to continue to not talk about video games. <laughs> uh, if you don't... All right, so right up front, if you're expecting any type, type of talk of games or politics this episode... Yeah. No. no. I mean, I'm not going to talk, talk I mean, politics, politics in terms of 1969 uh, Hollywood. I don't know if you know this or not, John, but all air is political in some fashion or another. <sighs> I don't mean to burst your bubble. That's not what Ubisoft says. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's not what uh, Ghost Recon is. That's right. There's, they're a political game. Just because Bolivia is, quote, a real country. It is a real place quote, with unquote, actual in people South in South America. It. <laughs> um, no, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino's right. latest movie, Once, Once Upon, Upon a time, time in Hollywood. I was going to say, how much of a pause do we put on the ellipses there? It's important. Yeah. It's, it's like the movie makes a point it, to do them when yes, it does the title out, which yes. I think is fun. Um, and obviously, you know, like... By the way, we're going to spoil the shit out of this yeah, movie, so don't. Yeah, yeah, you should see the movie first uh, if you care. Or if you want to see the movie but no, you won't, don't have time to do it, then right. you can listen to us. Yeah. Uh, and piece together and our weird like Tower of Babel version of it and then tell your friends and they'll think you're a crazy person. All right, so do you want to just cut to, do you want to do like hot takes or do you want to just like... I mean, we could start broadly with, uh, uh, so this is Quentin's ninth or tenth film, depending if you count Kill Bill as two parts. He doesn't. <laughs> Uh, Whatever makes sense. He made it all at once, and um, it was weird. The, the the like editorial thing I saw before that I was like, oh, it's his ninth film or tenth if, because he doesn't count Death Proof. I'm like, no, he counts Death Proof. <laughs> <laughs> like, Death was Proof. Death Proof feature length? Uh, it's 80 minutes, so maybe <sighs> not. Uh, but it's part of the double feature that was yes. Grindhouse, and uh, uh, I still like that movie. It's fun as hell, and it's the shortest Quentin Tarantino movie by an that's, hour. That's Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is, is Kurt Russell. stuntman Mike. Yeah, and uh, what, is, what is with him and stuntmen? I don't know. He's all about him. Evil stuntman, no less. Or, or maybe not evil, but at least Stuntman Mike is definitely evil. <laughs> oh, Stuntman Mike is evil. But <laughs> Super evil. Yes, but I think we can make a... Uh, Cliff Booth, uh, Cliff is, Booth is, is in a is... nebulous space. God uh, bless he's him. He's a Rorschach test of, of muscle and cool sunglasses. But Ben, you know what? He's so charming. All right. Yeah. Let me give this some structure. Okay, yes. Maybe set up the movie itself. 1969. 1969. Hollywood. Yes. Uh, what's his face? Leonardo DiCaprio. Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. Is a washed up has been. Well, he, he's about. He's on the cusp. Yeah. He's he's just about. He's he is brought in when they need to launch a new show and they need the heavy. They need the heavy. Someone that the new star can beat up. Yes. And someone that other people will recognize. Will recognize yeah. and be like, oh shit. Uh, and this is so I didn't know this prior to seeing the movie, but he's largely kind of based around Burt Reynolds because Burt Reynolds yes. was on Rawhide, which was an old western, and then he wasn't able to do stuff much after that. He also had a stuntman buddy forever named Hal Needham, who is in like. <laughs> Cannibal Run and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so like that that kind of relationship, probably not exactly the same, but similar to Cliff and 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 um, Rick. And then uh, he went off to Italy, made a bunch of spaghetti westerns, then came back and became a big celebrity in the seventies. And you know, I mean, he won an Oscar for Boogie Nights. He had a long career. Did he really? Um, yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. Best supporting actor. He used to. He hated Amazing. that movie until he got that supporting actor. And then he really loved it. I mean, because because how do you explain Boogie Nights to Burt Reynolds? Yeah, well, and he's he's Burt Reynolds. He's not known for his humility to speak, um, but he's Burt Reynolds. Like he is that guy who kind of just he's he's he was one of the few that survived old Hollywood into the new one. So I, I want to bring this up. So yeah. I I I not that I've ever hated Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. He has a place in my heart. Uh, for like departed onwards, mm-hmm. I don't think I really took him seriously before departed, which that's not, not a great that, that that speaks more to me than it does his ability. I'm trying to remember. So he had, I mean, obviously Titanic, and like earlier Titan- than that, he had uh, uh, what's eating Gilder Grape Gilder and some Grape. other stuff. So he was he's been acting for his whole life, but he definitely took a big long fucking break after Titanic because yes. he became. But think about that think about guy. that think about how many bad decisions were thrown at him and right after that movie. He came back for Gangs New York, and that's like the oh kind of start, shit! I forgot about Gangs New York. That's never the mind. Never start mind. of his was his, that before oh four? That was yes, yeah, that's before oh. And I would yeah, I would. When put was that, that as, movie? That's two thousand one or two, two or three maybe because I it take has, it back. So that, that's it I, has the ending where they show the horizon and they yes. show the twin towers disappear. Man, so it has to be after two thousand one. That's fucking wild. So all right, so yeah. after for me, he I did not give a shit about him until Games New York, and I was like, okay, Scorsese's with him. What's up? Yeah, that was the big coming back. And then he got him. Like, he's like, hey, you want to departed? I'm in a movie with Daniel Day Lewis. I'm you're a my, real fucking actor. Yeah, you're my new Ray Liotta. Get yeah. in here. Um. And 
whatever, Wolf Wall Street, for all the shit that movie got, I thought it was a great performance. Sure. But I, I brought up to you, I was like, do you think he just screams or do you think he's a good actor? And I you were like, no, he's a good actor. Also say it's been a very long time since he played someone you're supposed to root for. I mean, oh he's God. had yeah. big parts, but like the Revenant guy, whose name I don't even remember, uh, his <laughs> his name, his his the purpose of that character is to get the shit beat out of him right. and to act very good at yes. that. So he's not much of a character to me there. I heard Tom Hardy was a better actor. Uh, Tom Hardy has much more acting to do, that's for sure. Um, oh, that's not fair. He has a lot of physical acting to do. Fine. But regardless. And, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, Calvin Candy is beyond loathsome. Uh, I, like you say, Wolf Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, also beyond loathsome. Like, he's, it's been a while since he's played someone you're supposed to kind of Re- like. Red Letter Media brought up the fact that he has not done a, 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 a fucking comic book movie. And nope. I was like, man. That's because he doesn't fucking have to. <laughs> yeah, but that's... neither is Brad Pitt. And right, I would like so that's the thing. It's kind of interesting. You think about Marvel now; it has absorbed almost all of our major movie stars, except for a couple. Don't don't derail this, Ben. And uh, don't don't get into I, this dark. Okay, you brought this up. I didn't I know, actually, I I didn't know, actually think I that they might be two of the only significant male actors in Hollywood that have not been in any of those fucking oh movies. My God, that's amazing. Especially Brad Pitt, because Brad Pitt is a big goddamn. Star. I think of Leonardo DiCaprio is a big goddamn star, but I think of Brad Pitt as like. Maybe the last movie star we have, like just a person who has that wattage. Um, Brad Pitt, who married Angelina Jolie, got divorced because he smoked way too much yeah. weed, <laughs> and then he got married to Jennifer Aniston. Got married, and then God. now I don't know who now, but you know, Marion Cotillard was involved at some point, so he's doing okay. It was Aniston was before Jolie, right? Yeah, and then and that's the one. Then Jolie adopted like twelve kids. Yeah, and they got divorced like several years after they made their like couple movie together that was about a difficult marriage, and then turned out. <laughs> he smoked too much weed dude. maybe I don't know no that, like that was one of the fucking reasons the rumors like, on the recent one is that the movie he made with uh, Zemeckis uh, Allied which is like a World War II set one and Marion Cotillard is his co-star in that oh, and apparently some some stuff happened but that's all backlot stuff who knows if it's true. so let, let me rein this in for a movie about the, the golden age of Hollywood yes. to get two fucking stars that are so fucking big and still pretty much have integrity I yeah. think yeah I would say so um yeah, uh, yeah, it, and, it, it's and fucking perfect. It's it, the premise is great, but the fact that he got who he got for it, yeah, uh, and obviously he's a very like detail oriented director about how he wants things right. to be, right? Well, what and, the and fuck, dude? you like, know that he knew it was Burt Reynolds he was doing, like it, it is it, like all that stuff you just kind of take for granted that he knows already, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the like the basic setup is that Rick. Dalton, he used to be. Yeah, you'd set it up, and I think I interrupted you. So he's a he's a TV cowboy. His show's been canceled for a while. He's been trying to make it at movies. He hasn't been doing very well. Like you say, he's getting cast TV shows as the heavy who gets beaten up, and he still hangs around with his old stuntman Cliff Booth, who he's his, he's uh, his driver, who's he's his, his driver, driver yeah. basically, and his In- doer of things because he can't really get stunt work anymore for another reason you find later in the movie. Um, but he is, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a hangout dude movie, and they just happen to live on Cielo Drive, right next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Yes. Who, uh, the movie starts in February of that year, I think, and then does a time jump in the middle to go to the day of the day of the, the Tate, the Manson murders, um, which is something that the movie is always gesturing at, but never comes out and says, like, this is where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, you just kind but of, it, it but- has this kind of anxiety that, is very much it, for the first two thirds is basically non-existent. Like, so that's what I was gonna say the first two thirds of the movie. I'm not. I said this to you right when we got out. I was yeah. like, that was so. The first two thirds are so restrained because it's so essentially like, three days, essentially one day and a night, one whole day for all three characters, and then the the night. Yes. And and if you examine like if you if you told someone what happened, where it's like, oh, Brad Pitt went to a ranch and nothing really happened. Like, it, it, but he just lets the actors fucking do what they have. Like he lets yeah. them go for it. But in the same way, you would say like in Glorious Bastards, the scene is they go to a basement and play a drinking game for forty minutes. That's not encapsulate what that scene is he, at all. He went. They did it for forty minutes, and then he did the wrong three sign. Yep. That, like yeah, when you say it, when you yes, when you say it, it's like okay, what the fuck is this about? And sidebar, I love uh, Quentin told this story a billion times, but how he wrote that scene is he eventually is like, all right, this is gonna be a quick, you know, fifteen minute scene, and but then it just, it just kept, kept going, going and but, kept going, and, it, and kept and being, so, more, and he tried to cut it, and he kept trying to cut it down. And he's like, no, every beat do, here is do, good. Do you know what that reminded me of? And when you watch it, he's right. Yes. Like, it, but do you know what that reminded me of? Mm. It's like when Jonathan Blow is like, I let the universe design my games. Yeah. And that's the same thing. Is like, I let the game design itself. Well, and the characters talk to me. That's like a Stephen. King yes. Too, yeah. Yes. Uh, and but. He just he knew that the the pacing was what yeah. it had to be, and he knew that it had to play out and this it, way. It just if you watch that scene, even just by itself, like it has a perfect rhythm of 
of comedy to, to, to dread, to comedy, to dread, to comedy, to dread, to dread, to dread, to dread, to boom. And like, it just, I, it, yeah, it's, it's a, an object lesson in how to write a fucking scene in a movie. And like, to carry the entirety of it by dialogue. And obviously great performances by the actors involved. Yes. But, like, it is just... It is so fun. And it's in different languages. Like, it, it is... It's a hell of a goddamn I, thing. <laughs> I was disappointed that they did not show the... I forget what the effect is called, but I knew about it before mm. uh, this movie. But how they used to do Spaghetti Westerns is that everyone would just say their native language. Yeah. They, they would deliver their lines, and then they'd afterwards... They'd, they'd dub it. Yes. Um, and... I wanted to see more of the spaghetti western stuff. I kind yeah, of because they allude you couldn't to have fit. it. Yeah, you couldn't have fit yeah. it. I understand because there is a section where he does go to to Rome to make fake yeah, but it yes. spaghetti westerns, and they mention the the Tower of Babel thing, but they don't really show it. Yeah, um, but but yeah. I, I love I fucking love that we get and of course Quentin Tarantino is a huge film nerd, so of course he's going to bring up spaghetti westerns because sixty nine. I mean, this like, movie exists in his world probably more deeply than anything probably since Kill Bill, just of like references to shows he watched when he was a kid, ads he heard on the radio, fashion he would have seen, music he would have heard. It's weird too because like he usually does pretty eclectic soundtracks. Like they're usually yeah. not the most obvious things from that era. Um, but this one is like a top 40 of what would have been playing on the radio in 69. And that's the movie also, and I noticed this watching it second time. So when we saw, we went and saw it, I, I was seeing it second time, you were seeing it first yes. time. And I, so I was picking up on some other stuff. And one of the things is the first, at least the first, hour hour and a half is wall-to-wall diegetic music like there's not really that many needle drops yeah but everybody gets into a car with a radio blast and every scene is set to a radio or something or a record player or something around playing music so there's like wall-to-wall soundtrack which is weird for him but it's also not like needle drops like it is for him so yeah. it's a it's a cool and it is a fake radio station like uh reservoir dogs has or, or he's done that before but no but. steven wright no, unfortunately, unfortunately rest in no peace. Right. Rest in peace. <laughs> um, Steven Wright. No, no. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember his character's name. It's the Super Sounds of the 70s, but I can't remember the character's name. In any case. Anyhow. Um, um, yeah, the, the first so, two, this is why it's a hard recommendation for me, is that I don't think, when you think Quentin Tarantino, just in like the tabloid sense of sure. like a Fox News anchor going on a rant about violence. Yeah, like ultraviolence. Like, you don't think about like, hey, we're going we're gonna to show you how an actor works. Yeah. We're going to show you the nuances of... I did a bad like I, I'm not doing as well as I want to do. Like right. he, think of how much how much fucking screen time he gives to DiCaprio just doing Being his just working in another Liter- western. Yeah, li- but literally working. That's right. work for him. Yeah, and, that, he, and he you know the longest section of the film probably for all three characters is that second act, which is the day of, which is not the day of. Sorry, one of the days in February, which is just a day. Cliff fixing some stuff and going to Spawn Ranch. Uh, and Rick working on the set all day, and Sharon going to see her movie, essentially. And picking, getting a book for her. And getting a book for just, her. Just husband. very mundane. Like, he just picked that day, and he was like, all right, yeah. we're going to do all the mundane shit. The day in the life of. But I, And we were watching it, and I'm like, I don't... It didn't congeal in my mind yet. And it's not until you get to that last third yeah. that, as a whole product, you're like, fuck, it's so good. Yeah. Like, I walked out of the theater genuinely like, I don't know if I can place this up in the top. And now, like, I've had time to think about yeah. it. And I'm like, no, it is. It, yeah, I came structure... out of it, like, pleasantly surprised. Because I, I don't know, so maybe that's a good thing to establish too early on is like, we're both Tarantino fans, I would say. But I would say for my half, I have been less and less on the last two. And I think uh, Inglorious Bastards was his last, like, bona fide fucking movie masterpiece. Yeah. And then... Uh, Django and um, Hateful Eight both had stuff I really liked, and I'm glad I saw them, um, but they definitely felt more like, yeah, it's Quentin, but it's not, I, I don't I'm, I can't say exactly what it was. Maybe it was him going off in a different register than I wasn't, because especially Hateful Eight is cranked to a real nasty register. Like it just, Hateful Eight is... It's brutally violent, man. it is unsparing in its view of but, how people interact with each other, and how people lie to each other, and, and, and undercut yes, each other. The, and, the fact that Minnie's haberdashery is yeah. just, by the time that you get there, is already gutted. Like, right. all the sh- bad shit has already happened. Right. And it's just literally, the, the set is literally and figuratively blood-soaked. Yeah, and it's also um, like... Which side of the Civil War were you on? Like, it, yeah. it does not make any mints about it's, what it's about. And it's honestly, it's interesting because I thought it came out after Trump. No, 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 no. no, no 2015. Um, it was before I, he was even running. And you know what? You know what we're fucking. <laughs> this is. You know what, Ben? We should co author a paper together because yeah. I think we just. We nailed this fucking intro. Yeah. 
is that that movie is about divisions mm-hmm. going fucking deep. And it literally is about, you know, the years following the yes. country being ripped apart by civil war. And like, literally, like you said, the country's at the lowest point. Yeah. Fucking everyone's on edge. The entire movie, it never... And a large part of the plot hinges on a, a letter by Abraham Lincoln. Like, there's yes. no part of that that is not touched by right. that event. This movie... Yeah. Is about, hey, remember when you could watch something on a TV and, and you could call someone exactly. and say, hey, turn the channel, turn to channel nine. And yep. look, that cannot happen anymore. One of largely. my favorite scenes and something I didn't key into when we watched it, when I watched it the first time is that anytime they show people watching TV, they show multiple people yes. watching it in multiple Be- locations. Right. Uh, because that it, it is that does not happen anymore. No. When Stranger Things three comes out, you watch it by yourself somewhere right. or with with your partner or whatever, but you don't watch it with a right. huge fucking audience. And and if you want a thesis for our this paper that we're co-authoring, right, right. it's that like, all right, Hateful Eight was about division. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like, remember when we it's could about the zeitgeist, just about the mainstream lo- existing. Yes. But yeah. we we largely had a common way to refer to each other. We largely were watching the same things. We, yeah. You know, like there were there were still divisions. Yeah. Obviously, via the Mansons. Yeah, and and then and you know, obviously, the Manson family or the Manson murders, along with a bunch of other stuff that happens in 1969, the summer specifically, is the end of it. It's the end of counterculture. It is the move into the 70s, the move into the me generation, and then the 80s of being like, what if we just consumed everything? So, like, the American character is at a weird turning point at the end of 69 because we have all the optimism of the 60s, but also all the fucking you know, mul- multiple assassinations, you know, I, uh, all this uh, Vietnam starting. Like, there's so much stuff that is good and awful kind of stuff. Did, did you know that other. there wasn't really any fucking references to Vietnam? There is, like, some radio chatter at some point. Right, it says, but, fighting in Vietnam, so-and-so but, amount dead. But it's that's just it. But that's it. And that's there, not absolutely on purpose, I'm certain of it. Oh, uh, for sure. Because it um, is the bubble that, that, yes. that Hollywood exists in. I mean, again, the biggest struggle is that he, like, Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't cry because he lost his son in Vietnam. He cries no. because he's fucking up this shitty TV yeah. role, right? Like... God, I love that scene when That's he's it, in. old buddy. It's I, over. <laughs> I love that he is just kind of an inconsolable brat. Yeah, it's like, and it is what makes him such an empathetic character is that, you know, he is, on the one hand, it's like, well, you know, kind of some of the movie's argument is like, oh, he's an old guy from the old school. He should stick around. And part of the argument against that is like, but why? Like, the shit they made is boring. And yeah. if they just keep making fucking Bonanza or Gunsmoke or Bounty Law or whatever, it just is boring. Bounty it was Law. already boring. Yes. And, and you know, the movies that come out of the counterculture post-69 are some of my favorite movies. So there's not really... I don't... I don't... You know, I. it's weird because I, I think people have, like, tried to read this immediately as, like, oh, it's Quentin's I'm getting old movie and I'm not the cool kid anymore and I don't like see, it. And that's why, like, the, the most disdained group in the movie is hippies. And it's like, I think it also has to do with the Manson part of it, which is that... The, you know, the Manson family murders essentially turned hippies from like, oh, it's counterculture, free love to like these motherfuckers are doing drugs in the woods and they're going to go fucking break in your house and murder you. Yeah. And that was the switch that went on in the culture that kind of got rid of that movement, even if it was unrelated. It wasn't unrelated because the reason they people ignored the Manson family for years <laughs> when they were collecting young women and putting them on drugs and doing all sorts of crazy shit is because he were just. Harmless hippies up at Spawn Movie Ranch. What are yeah. they doing? And and God, I love that fucking scene. It is one of my favorite scenes in his. Um, can we can we just thing, talk about Brad Pitt for a second? Yes, Brad Pitt's very good in this movie. What did, you said to me, he was like, he's like, no matter what he's doing, he's always charming. And I was like, yeah, yeah he he's, is. He's an it guy. Like he has it. If, if movie, th- you know, you ever hear an old series like, oh, he's got it. It's the star. That's what Brad Pitt has. Th- that's Brad what, Pitt that's... has that ability to just. He is so. I mean, Cliff Booth is a very cool character. He's just calm and collected. Cliff, Cliff Booth is what in a every James, scene he's ever yes. in. Uh, Cliff Booth is in a James Elroy. He's the bag man. Yeah, he's kind of he's not calling the shots. He's the hired muscle, but he gets to go on the adventures because guess what? He has nothing to do, and he's cooler than a thousand cucumbers. Like he just yeah, but he's everything. A fucking, but he gets he's involved a fucking in. deadbeat. Yeah, but every like, but it's still like. That is the amazing ability of someone with his amount of charisma is that he when you see Cliff Booth at home. Every part of your brain should say, "Oh God, this is sad." He just lives in a trailer. Yeah, but it's a he's fucking fine mess. with it. But he's, but fu- he's I just have like, never man. seen someone so cool making fucking macaroni and cheese and feeding and his eating, dog, eating it out of a eating pot. Out of a pot. I love it. He doesn't even put any like, butter or milk no, in it. He just dude. fucking stirs it up yeah. and eats it with a fucking and watches. I forget what show he watches. Manix. That's what he watches. Oh my God, dude. So it's just like 
And it's, you know, the character's written that way. He's just, he's got the coolest dog. Like, I, dude I, can rock a champion shirt like you've never seen it before. Like, it's so just... So, I'm pretty sure for Halloween I'm going to dress like Cliff. I mean, Because yeah. it's fucking just rad. gets a nice Hawaiian shirt, an oh old, old champion logo shirt. What is it? Hawaiian shirts this summer, dude, between uh, Stranger Things and this. Yeah, they're coming um, back. <laughs> Brad Pitt... He, at the same time that he's warm, like not warm, he's just he's very cool, but like yeah. inscrutable. Yeah, and that's you have to have talent. You can just say, oh well, we can just put Brad Pitt in this movie and he'll be fine. Not necessarily. No, because the character is very complex in terms of like did he kill his wife? Yeah, like um, he's the, blacklisted from like you know, and and he is he is pretty much the sole instrument of violence in the whole film. Which you know, Tarantino, the other the, thing he is well known for is lots of violence, and this movie actually. Really, I mean, it definitely has its moment. He traded quantity for <laughs> uh, intensity. Exactly. Let's, let's exactly. say, right? That's, that's exactly um, right. Where Hateful Eight is just... Or Watching Bastards, where every scene has bloodletting in it, yes. basically. Uh, I was saying, Glorious Bastards, Hateful Eight is like, oh, you like this girl? We're going to punch her in the fucking yeah, face now. Yeah. And it's going to be yeah. like, is he playing it for laughs? Um, there will be no scene in this movie that doesn't feel you make you feel a little squeamish about the people in it, essentially. You know, I think Quentin Tarantino's kind of a fucking... I, I know he's a genius in yeah. terms of filmmaking, but also I, I know that the twisted side of him loves the fact that it's like if anyone complains about violence in this fucking movie, yeah. you are defending the Manson family. Exactly. Well, it's, it's fucking brilliant. He he is so much a filmmaker who is concerned with the audience. Uh, so I was talking about that podcast I was listening to earlier. One of the things he talked about, they talk about is like, so how do you watch a movie? Yeah. In theater. And he says, well, if I'm going to see it myself, I go third row. I'm real close to the front. And I want to watch it and have it fill my whole bit. But if it's one of my movies, I want to be all the way back. Because I want to, to see what the, the people are doing. Yeah. Because he is a showman. First of all, you know, number one, he is... I think another thing that I've kind of come around, and maybe this is more me absorbing other people talking about him, but he, one of the things he loves the most about movies, and something that is not valued a lot in film, is how fake it is. He loves how fake it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, he loves making... He oh, you, can, you, just, can tell, you can tell when they go to the movie set. Yeah. He fucking loves he that. He loves that. He loves the artifice of it. He loves making fake movies within his movies, making fake brands, fake commercials. Like Him and Shakespeare. His, it being his little thing that he can fuck with is what he likes about it. He would never make, uh, you know, a fucking Paul Greengrass documentary-style movie. Right. He, he's incapable of that. Right. And he doesn't find it very interesting. And but I think that uh, especially with the the this one and, and bastards where he really is just like I'm going to take my version of this history. I'm not going to limit myself to history or or anything like that. I'm going to construct it as I either remembered it or I imagined it, and that's yeah. what's important. And it, it and that is for audience. Like he wants. He's uh, another thing he says is like he knows he's working in genre, so he always still works towards the goal of delivering the goods. Like he doesn't he doesn't take some high-minded thing of like, well, Inglorious Bastards is really about this. It's like, no, it has to end with a big fucking action adventure yeah, payoff. I, that's that's like a workman attitude. Exactly. Right? But, it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think it does keep him at least, you know, because he is someone who could easily get high on his own bullshit and just go off in a direction and not make a movie for him and no one else. And I, right. the thing I think that his common criticism is like, he makes movies for himself and if you happen to like him, then fine. I think he is so much more concerned with the audience and bringing them along for the ride and tricking them and pulling one over on them and so on and so forth, which to the point where, you know, this movie has a huge thing in that court where it's like, if you went in that movie knowing the ending, it would be a totally <laughs> different experience. Yes. And moreover, like he w was, you know, he showed it at Cannes and, and, and was imploring people to be like, please don't tell people, please don't tell people. And this was around... When Endgame was coming out, and it was like, oh but, my god, you can't spoil it. And so there was a real kind of blowback on him for being like, oh, spoiler culture's bullshit. People don't need to be coddled this much. But in this case, I'm like, no, this is... Fucking spoil Endgame. You probably know what's going to happen. Yeah. But if you go into this thing expecting Manson murders and then get the thing you get at the end, I think it's a really exciting experience. But but um, you and I... But see, this is the problem. Is that you and I both knew it wasn't going to play out. Like, we both... I, I wasn't we, sure. We, and, but and, we both had an inkling. We were like... Uh. And I, I definitely... I think I probably should have had a better idea uh, because... I and so initially this movie was going to be released on August 9th. It was going to be released on the night of. But then her estate said to push the sixty percent, right? you know, the sixtieth anniversary yeah, of the yeah, night yeah. of, and I thought that was beyond crass. I thought that was disgusting. I was basically ready to not see the movie because I'm just like, yeah. if it's going to be his version of those fucking killings, and he's going to release on the same night, like fuck that right. entirely. Now that I've seen the movie, I am completely opposite. I think it would have been a gift to see that on the anniversary, like the counter narrative to. Yeah. Like what if what if she what if this didn't happen? What if this horrible thing didn't happen to this girl? And what if 
woman? What if this didn't happen to this, this group of people? And it doesn't mean that the good times don't end. It doesn't mean that Altamont doesn't happen or whatever else, other things that kind of end the 60s. Oh, my God. But it means that she doesn't just get to be a fucking victim to one of the most, like, sadistic and famous crimes in history. And what if instead she just gets a normal... You know, obviously the hippies get fucked up either way, but who cares also? Like, I definitely, like, I had that in my brain when that started. I was like, this is going to be tough for some people because, like, (laughs) if you don't know what they did... I think it's really hard to go, you know, go along with the comedy of it because it's very much played like a loony. Oh, dude, it's totally thing. played for laughs. But but the, the, you, all you need to know about like he, fuck, they hate hippies early on. Yeah, yeah. He's fucking hit like Rick Dalton hates fucking hippies. Yeah, and it, it kind of brought me back to like that South Park thing of like these fucking hippies, right? Like yeah. that kind of early two thousands, like you know, yeah, fight, like you know, tree huggers, yeah, fuck yeah. hippies, yeah, like yeah. Um, that kind of thing. But the definitive scene for me is when he has a fucking margarita mix yep. and he's just screaming at them in his driveway. <laughs> so good. And it, that's what causes the change. Yes. They wouldn't have come back to his house if he hadn't right. come back so, and yelled so at if them. So if you don't need to, if you don't have any, we've been dancing around it kind yes. of, but like, obviously the Sharon Tate murders does not happen. No. Uh, well, it doesn't happen that people get murdered. Nope. <laughs> nope. They show up. They, you know, they up. I, as I put it in, when I saw it. <laughs> In the theater, I turned to my friend and said they went to the wrong fucking house. This is so cool. Like, I'm so I, happy. And I, all right. Yeah. I knew as soon as, as, soon as Cliff opened the door and yeah. I saw the flamethrower, I looked at you and I hit you and I said, dude, <laughs> yeah. I saw that fucking flamethrower. I didn't see that, actually. And yeah, I, so. I knew exactly how it was going to play out. And yeah. I was like, see, the, and of course, Quentin Tarantino does the double take because in Cliff's trailer, we see the gun. Yep. Classic fucking. Yeah. Uh, set up right 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 motherfucker it was a gambit and they do some other Chekhov's things of like here's this acid lace cigarette Uh, I'm gonna put it in here (laughs) well no that's way too right but the flamethrower was just I noticed it only because I looked down at his feet and I saw it and I was like oh that's good then it has to it has to be that they go to their house yeah and that's that's for me the jig was up and so the I think that kind of fucked it up because then I was like waiting for it to go bad at Spawn Ranch and it didn't happen but that scene works great. Well, and that's that's kind of maybe a better overall uh, thing that I also think he's fucking with is is you know you look at a movie like Inglorious Bastards, every one of those scenes largely is an escalation of tension, of lies, <laughs> yes, sure. of sussing out the lies until violence and a big explosion. But, but, there, but there are stakes, and that you, and there, you but it's, care. It's pull the band, pull the band, yes, and yes. snap it. That's the strategy. Yes, I think the only one that doesn't end like that is the scene where uh, Shoshana meets with. Uh, them to talk about hosting the movie yes, and she, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Londa's there and she has the strudel yeah. with him and then she kind of <sighs> when he leaves like so there is a release of tension but it's not violence but right. that's the only one uh, all the other ones end with a massive geyser of blood basically um, and he, he plays it up a lot in Spawn Ranch yeah the creaking of the floor exactly and, like, and, you know, and so every time he puts in one of those scenes where you think it's just gonna crank and crank and snap and I mean even with DiCaprio and acting you know, you think he's just gonna go fucking crazy eventually like he's gonna keep forgetting f- he's gonna keep getting worse and then he's gonna end up yelling at the kid or, or I, Timothy Olyphant character and he's gonna get kicked off the set and it'll be the end of his movies and it'll be a big screaming see that, that whole sequence I only appreciated after it happened right and I was like no that's it, in this day and age that you can sit and 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 Quentin Hill loves actors right right he loves that they're, they he love, loves the process he, yes, of acting he loves probably the process. more than anything and so for me I'm like no like it, I, it, I had to watch it watch the whole thing as a product and then afterwards I think like yeah. two days later I was like no that I love that I adore that scene. it's a That's, great scene. might be my favorite section of the movie just because hey I love Timothy Olyphant so I'm in the fucking as, pocket for as do I every as time he's I. on screen yes. I love that kid I love She's the very director She's very I love uh, I love the way that they shoot it so that it looks like the movie until the film crew has to interact and then they basically appear out of nowhere yes uh, like I just it, it felt like a video game cutscene. It's a, a weird. Little, it was like, weird. It was bizarre. Like when when you know he does the shootout with Scoot in the street and then walks into the um, with Scoot McNary. Because of, of course Scoot McNary shows I, up to die. I love. Of course, as he soon does. as I heard him talking, I'm like is that fucking Gordon? You Shit, knew, you knew it was. Dude. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Well, because I I knew he was in it. Because oh, he was it. in a terrible western. Yeah, he was in the uh, God uh, Netflix show. It wasn't. Godless. It wasn't good. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so he shoots Scoot and then he walks in and the whole, <laughs> the whole bar is like empty and set and everything. And then, and then DiCaprio's up top and they go through the, and this scene is like six or seven minutes long at this point. So it's like, there is no fucking way no one's called cut. Right. But this is just running like the movie essentially right, right. or the show. And it's a way better version because it's not black and white. Right. It's not cut off. And then as soon as he forgets his line, someone pipes in on a mic. And then as soon as he says something, it, there's a film crew there all of a sudden, but they weren't there before. Right. And it's like this really great... Like, it's 
what a film set is like, but it's also what people imagine they're doing when they're yes. making a movie. Um, and so God, fucking God bless cool. Luke Perry for just showing yeah. up for two minutes and God being like, it. hey, last I'm the Bostonian. On, last on-screen role, I think, ever. God bless God damn. Luke Perry. Rest in peace. A.K.A. Archie's dad. A.K.A. Uh, what? Shit. What's his fucking name? It's Andrews' last name, but what's his first name? No idea. Sam Andrews? Oh, shit. All right. Well, R.I.P. Luke Perry either way. R.I.P. Luke Perry. Um, did you know that they, the 90210BH is a fake reboot of 90210? Wait, what? I, th- yes, that's all right. So 90210BH okay. is, all right, do you remember the end of Kirby Enthusiasm where they do the Seinfeld thing? Yes. That. Oh, okay. So the so they're making a the, Beverly Hills in the, reboot in the show. with the characters. And so, but the actors are all sleazebags. They're playing dramatized versions of themselves. That sounds pretty good. And I was like, I actually kind of want to see it. <laughs> that sounds all right. Um, but without Luke Perry, that's a deal breaker. Yeah, I mean, anyway. like, I would want to see Luke Perry in that more than anybody in that cast. Um, I, I got to say this. This is a totally random note. But I mm. want to get into Margot Robbie for a second. But uh, So 1969, when you get into the 70s in Cars, yeah. this is very specific, and I'm sorry if anyone's listening that doesn't Cars like Cars. Cars movie rule, though. She has a por- she has a she has my favorite Porsche, which is the Porsche 912. Her Porsche is great. Uh, the I don't know what it is that Roman Polanski drives in that one scene where you're behind I, the it's, dash. So it's I, it's an MG. So it's like it looks like a. But it has that cool like yeah. pros like oh, I love it, those it's an MG. So it's yeah. a British made stupid two seater. I don't like MGs. Whatever. Yeah. But fucking, I was a badass Coupe de Ville. And <laughs> so obviously, uh, Dalton has the Coupe de Ville. But do you know what fucking uh, Cliff Booth drives? It's a that's called a Carmen Ghia. Yeah, because he only drives it for one scene. But he, well, he drives oh, the shit boy, out of it. He drives the shit out of it, um, yeah. That Carmen Ghia is a basically a VW Bug. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought it was. It made to look sporty. Yeah. But it's the same motor. It's an air-cooled motor. Like, huh. And I'm just like, of course you would drive like a beat-up. But it's very, it's a fun car. Yeah. Because it's I mean, rear-wheel drive. like crazy. Yes, he loves that super car. super cool. Um, and like, we were talking about like, you know, the end of an era. Mm. In the 70s, they call it the Malaise era in cars because it's... We, because they had gas restrictions. Right. So, the, yeah. Um, our emissions, cars got boring, essentially. Cars got boring. They look fucking terrible. They yeah. were too heavy. America never figured out how to make a good four-cylinder. Right, right. Um, and the cars in this fucking movie are, like, perfect. Yeah. That 912 that she drives, like, it, it's a, it's just perfect. Yeah. But point being, the Carmen Ghia is kind of like a proto-Porsche. Kind mm. of. They're both rear engine. Like, they're in the back like obviously yeah. the porsche is way nicer yeah, yeah but yeah. he's driving the shitty beat up carmen Ghia. like yeah but it still moves like a porsche like it's still this yeah the weights thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 um no power steering in those cars either because oh, there was I nothing in the front so you're just <laughs> literally like that's why he's whipping around he doesn't give a fuck yeah um that's all i want to say about that let's talk about margot robbie yes what i know why they didn't give her a lot of lines yeah and i know why they didn't put margot robbie digitally inserted in Right. Because it's a matter of respect, right? Right, yeah. So there is a point at which uh, Rick Dalton talks about uh, auditioning for The the Great Escape. And they oh show, God. they cut it's in so clips bad. of uh, The Great Escape. It's fine. And it is the movie you know, if you've seen that movie, <laughs> if you have a father who showed you that movie at some point. Yeah. Um, you recognize it, but it's DiCaprio in the Stephen Queen part. And it's really, it's a very good piece of CG because it looks largely realistic. It looks good. You know it's wrong because it's DiCaprio, yes. but like, yes. it's pretty funny. And it's a very playful thing that he's doing where he is continually taking, though, this is Quentin Tarantino's Hollywood. Yes. And Rick Dalton auditioned yes. for this. And it's just, but uh, there is another scene in the movie. It's probably the biggest scene she gets where Sharon Tate goes. She goes to buy a book for her husband, but then she goes back. She sees a movie she's been in. Because at this point, Sharon Tate is, she's kind of a comedian. She's just coming up. She's not really. Would you say she's she like a B or like B yeah. to C B to actor, C. She's a, actress? She comes from the studio system kind of insofar that she was noticed as a yeah. uh, uh, an attractive person. And then yes. they tried to work movies. That, that's her. the Bob Evans Paramount model is right. that he sees an attractive. He's like, you, yeah. you can be in this movie. You, you, you got yeah. to look. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you know, Valley of the Dolls is the, uh, Beyond the Valley Dolls is the other movie that she's been in that is well-known-ish, even well-known today is maybe not. But it's, sure. she's not that well-known. And I think that's part of the big thing about Sharon Tate and that what this movie kind of wants to do with that character is that she is known almost entirely as a tragedy. She is not known as an actor or a comedian or anything that she did prior to that. She is known as a fucking tragedy. And the that section of the movie is very much about, like, she was just a normal person, kind of on the cusp of her career, maybe breaking. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so she goes to see a movie, a Dean Martin movie called The Wrecking... I think it's a comedy. It's like a spy comedy. Like yeah. A, a it's very corny. Like, it's very corny. Very yeah. corny, like... 
And uh, and in that movie, when she is watching herself on screen and she's in the theater watching, kind of listening for people to barefoot. react to her, of course, barefoot. She has hilariously <laughs> gigantic glasses on. Um, it's very endearing. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fucking great scene. Like, And yes. it is all on her face. There's yes. no, oh, that's me or whatever. Like, no, it it just, is all yes. just done through cinema. And uh, so, yeah, she, she goes to see it. And, and But when you see the movie, it's the movie. And yes. real Sharon Tate yes. is in it. And she's... Margot Robbie Sharon Tate is watching real Sharon Tate, and that's uh, that's a really like kind of cool uh, layering, and I think it's the way to do it. Like if he had insert because so there's also kind of a little flashback within there of her training with Bruce Lee, which she really did. Yes. Uh, so that's another thing that's interesting. J.C. Bring the guy, uh, the hairdresser who's played by Neil Hirsch in the movie. <laughs> he is kind of the guy who was responsible for bringing Bruce Lee into Hollywood. Like really? he was friends with him. He was a personal trainer to him. Huh. And he was his hairdresser, and he got him you know, in the door for Green Hornet, which is kind of his big yes. breakout as going along. Kato. You know, the thing is, I mean, uh, Bruce Lee is also a, an actor who is known. He has a bigger body of work, but he is also known as a tragedy. He's a guy who died. He took an aspirin and then fell asleep yeah. and died. He is a yeah. guy who died like five or six days before End of the Dragon became the biggest fucking movie of all time. One of the biggest martial arts films of all time. Like he never yeah. got to see it in the same way that she, even more with her, she never got to even get a chance at it. Um, but it's an interesting contrast. And Bruce Lee was part of that crew. He was even, I think, uh, Polanski thought for a little bit that he was, he was the guy who had, had, had let the murders in or whatever. Cause he like left his glasses at, yeah. at the house or whatever. Cause he hung around there cause JC bring was his friend. So anyways, uh, she has this flashback during that of her training with Bruce Lee and that she is dressed as Sharon Tate in the movie, but still Margot Robbie. So they do bridge that gap in yes. that flashback. Yes, but for anyone who doesn't quite get what's going on, right? But I think it's like it is—it's a big show of respect to Sharon Tate. I yes. think more than anything. And that's—and he's not going to—he's not going to get credit for that. No, and that's like, the thing. I, he's I not mean, credit and 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 um, Sharon Tate's sister was very against this movie when she heard he was writing it. She was like, no, you, especially you should not be the one to, because, you know, he, he, what he's known for, especially violence wise, is is grand, ex, explosive. But what would you rather have? Like a shitty biopic that has no but soul someone who, or a fucking person who gets it. But I think that's the thing you underestimate about Quentin is like, yeah, he's the blood and guts guy, but he's also the, probably one of the only filmmakers who you can say, what do you think about Sharon Tate? And you can name like three, three films she's been yeah. in. And that, oh, she was a very talented comedian. She was a very talented physical actor. Yeah. Like, could pick out what she was as a movie star separate from her being a fucking tragedy. Yeah. And so uh, I really, I think he deserves a fair amount of credit for that. Like that, that this performance is, you know, there's an argument to be made that, Oh, maybe the whole movie should be about her, but I don't know, but I buy no, that either. I, I think no. she represents something. She is the representative of what's maybe good about the new Hollywood. She is the only good hearted person in this movie. Also and that, that is completely good. That is it. And yeah, Whatever we don't get because much on the way to that movie, she picks up a hitchhiker. It's right. not one of the Manson girls, I don't think, um, but it is just it, it is the opposite of the problem. Like how do, you know how do you get how do you make a person likable? Yeah, you got to get the cat out of the tree, right? Yeah, um, but she she just is she's wholesome and yeah whatever whatever about the accuracy about it. I I, I understand why he didn't give her much of an internal life because you don't want to fucking speculate about that. And she is kind of like uh, I don't know. It's like it it is which way do you go? Do you make her a real flesh and blood person, or do you kind of use her as a representation of something i say and i think the, he, I splits, say the, he splits the difference because in one way she is a representation of things because she kind of doesn't talk she doesn't really have much of a specific character but we also spend a lot of time in her a, ve- a very specific intimate scenario yeah. where it's her experiencing her work and being excited and, about it and why wouldn't you root for that like yeah. right like yes like it's such a sweet scene there's no way you can look at it and just be like ah why no. is this here <laughs> unless right. you're yeah we gotta talk about the flamethrower all right so i when this I knew, the, when I realized where it was going, I literally clapped in the theater, as and did like I. you, you, me, and like maybe two other people. Woo! Yeah, and uh, I mean, when I saw that, so I saw it, <laughs> when I saw it the first time, and so this is, you know, the end of the film where the Manson people have have gotten into his house. There, two of them are already dead. From, Rick, from, Dal- from, Rick Dalton's house from acid tinge yes. Cliff Booth, and yeah. also Francesca does punch one of them, so she does help. And Brandy is also a big part of it. Brandy the Pitbull. Brandy who, the Pitbull, who God, one of man. the greatest setups because she's nothing but sweet and tender. I'm fucking Brandy. I, first of all, I love she's named after that song. Yes. And then also that she's just the best behaved fucking dog you've ever met. Not only is she sweet and gorgeous and lovely and behaved, but when you need her to be a Pitbull. She's a fucking Pitbull. <laughs> you just, you, you point her in the right direction. And, and I, man, I. 
there is not something... to get off Dalton, but the bit where he goes like, "Oh, I know all of you," because he's been to Spawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah. "What's your name?" And he's like, "I'm the devil here to do the devil's business," which is exactly what he said. Yep. At the Taint, at the Sharon Tate house, it's in the in the record and everything. And he's like, "No, nah, I was dumber nah, than that." Was dumb which than is that. just like that's the whole point of this whole thing is to take this sinister <laughs> group of evil hippies that have became so fucking famous as you know it's weird like people attribute serial killer like charles manson is named as a famous serial killers like he was not he a serial never, killer right he killed two people maybe and that barely qualifies he was a serial right. killer like he certainly has some huge problems and he's but like they have this they have what he would consider an outsized reputation yes and the, a huge part of this movie just like in glorious bastards is to make them a fucking joke yeah, it's and it, it is, because in fake Quentin land, he can do that. Yes. And that's his. But that's his the power point. of cinema, right? He, exactly. And Quentin Tarantino would go on a rant about the power of cinema. Blah, right. blah, blah, blah. And it's a reason it. why he puts the once upon a time frame on this and the glorious yes. bastards is like, this is a fairy tale. This is yes. my version of what I wanted to happen. And uh, <laughs> it, it is it's a bold move. I like I said, I, I as someone who knows that story pretty well. Uh, and when they started going through to Chiron's and timestamps and like the exact restaurant they go to and everything, I was like, ah, he might actually do this. Like, and it did trick me enough to the point where, so I saw this in, um, packed house in Brooklyn, man, 35, I'm so jealous. 35 millimeter yeah. film is not dead. Kills did you hear it. the projector? I know what I saw it. You I saw, saw it. The lines, yeah. I saw the grime. I loved it. It was great. Um, but that moment, yeah, when he gets the flamethrower was a fucking like deafening. Woo! Um, there is it's something just, about a movie that you, yeah, and he, I knew the violence was going to come right. Yes. You and the question was like, how how is he going to make it palatable to me? And it is, it is, it is the all right. So the end of Hateful Eight, yes, is literally a girl being sl- like agonizingly by two maniacally laughing brutalized yes. guys like just ah, um yeah. but everyone's covered in blood yeah. and it's the most fu- and it's gut-wrenching in the in the way that it's like <sighs> stretched out yeah you see her like yoking yeah this was so fucking fast yes and so but it, it had that impact it i definitely I, like the the smacks and smashes are super crunchy but the super flailing, goopy the flailing of, yeah. of you like that's what bothered me was like if you're if you're in a dog attack you're yeah. gonna try to fucking do whatever you can right. to get away and that's what made it fucking insane for me and then even then when that woman gets her uh i don't know if she's like i don't know if her face is smashing and she goes she starts like so that's the one that he beans with the dog can yes first he hit man and so her face is like busted up right at that point but she's not dead yet no and so she's still screaming i mean because all these guys were like cranked up on acid like they were not in the oh i'm hurt i should stop space they were way past that um even cliff booth is feeling he gets stabbed and he's just like uh, that's a deep and he was in him it was <laughs> yeah. in his style yeah like. but so um yeah so she and then she gets attacked by the dog and then she fires the gun off the dog runs away and then she just runs through the the plate glass window it's and then so runs into the fucking, fucking good <laughs> runs into the fucking pool just starts screaming and spinning and, and she's shooting just shooting the gun off yeah and then you and know, Rick Dalton was like, what the fuck? You could argue his reaction is maybe over, overdone. No, but absolutely the fucking, not. like, just like, I know what to do. And then comes around the corner with the fucking flame, which... They, they're a great payoff. Another one Set of up my, and payoff. One of my favorite, like, setup and payoffs is the 14 Fish to McCluskey. Like, what a perfect fake movie. It's like a heightened version of Glorious Bastards. But on top of that, like the whole scene where they show him learning to use the flamethrower, yeah. he's like, "Oh, it's really hot. Can we do something about that?" And they're like, "No, it's, it's a, a fucking fl- flamethrower, flame idiot! Like, what are you talking about?" So good. But they let him keep it. So um, funny. That Ugh. I laughed from beginning of that sequence yep. to the end, and not in a way that I wasn't laughing that the violence happened. I was laughing no. in shock of that, like just like wow, because. <laughs> So there's a movie there's a famous movie I forget what the fuck it's called basically a dude gets his face bashed in with a fire extinguisher you know what I'm talking about it's irreversible irreversible by Gaspar Noe that's pretty fucking that's my bar is yep. that fucking elevator scene that is one um, of the yeah Drive is another one that gets close Drive gets close but I think because the, they sh- I saw the behind the scenes of it yeah. of like how they have the face set up and like I mean, they were beating something with a fucking fire extinguisher. Yeah. And and when he steps on the dude's head, he, like, caves in his head. You can see it give yep. a little bit. Same thing when the girl's face hits the mantle. Yep. There's that give. And that's, like, very... Yeah. I'm not laughing that. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at, like, holy Whoa. shit, I can't yeah. believe this is fucking well, happening. because it is the whole movie's, like, that rubber band that I talk about for every scene in Glorious Bastards. It's the whole movie. It's kind it's, of been the whole movie yes. because the Mansonites keep showing up. Yes. And if you know where this movie is headed, if you know anything about Sharon Tate... 
you know what the shoe is going to drop at yes. some point. And once I think it's once they start putting the Chirons on screen and Kurt Russell comes in as narrator again, all of a sudden uh, to tell you like all these very specific things, you can feel it. And I mean, especially if you know it, you're like, holy shit, it's coming. Yeah. Um, but they really did eat that restaurant. Yep. They really, like the time, everything, yeah. the time is perfect. Yes. The only difference is Rick Dalton came out with a fucking pitcher of margaritas and told him to get off his fucking get street. The fuck out of and my And they were street. like, no, let's kill him instead. Yes. And that was the wrong house to go well, to. three of them did. The Robin yeah. from Stranger Things was <laughs> like, fuck this, I'm out. I forget. That's I a great scene. Linda Kasabian's the character she is supposed to be, who is someone who, who was the lookout on the uh, night of the Manson murders. She didn't kill anybody, but she was the one on the outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then she did participate in the Tate LeBlanc murders, which don't ha- or the LeBlanc murders, which don't happen because they get arrested. In right, this right, 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 right. Um, those were the murders that happened a day or two after the Tate murders and, and were the thing that really cr- cranked the Manson like, we don't know why this is happening. Why are hippies just breaking into people's houses and stabbing everyone to death? This is crazy. It's all gone to shit. And then the LAPD took another two weeks to figure out who it was. Um, well, I thought it was black people, Ben. Yeah, and they, they protected <laughs> Charles Manson twice because he was a veteran. Um, sure. <laughs> regardless of how that was handled, um, that's that's one of my favorite jokes in the movie is, is her just being like, I forgot my knife in the car. And she just leaves. She just fucking gets in and leaves. Drives and it's away. so funny. So funny. I love it. And then just like, well, I guess we're going to keep going. Um, but yeah, God. so it, it is just a... Uh, yeah, when when he comes out with that that flamethrower, it is definitely one of those perfect setoffs and payoffs, and it's like so obvious once you see it. Of course, yeah, of course. But it's it's so again, who would expect a flamethrower in a swimming pool? I think that's what he's, bait, he's betting on. Um, and the, and they set up. There's just so much. I could talk forever about like the shots that are yeah. repeated and how the movie's bookended and all this stuff. Like the the shot of them coming down the bottom of Cielo Drive and take. They yep. both do that. They do it. Burn and out. Yeah. Do it too, and then yeah. I went on Google Earth and went to that spot, and it's fucking perfect. Because of I mean, course it is. Because of course it is. So uh, yeah, listening to some reviews, one of my podcast reviews, one of the guys lives in Los Angeles, and he's like, yeah, that on ramp that they go on, you know, after this scene, I take that every day. Yep. That's how I get on the one on one. That's like so they obviously filmed it there. Uh, because Quentin doesn't do fucking right. sets, really. Yep. And uh, he grew up in Los Angeles for the most part. He moved a little bit when he was in his teens to Tennessee and then back again. But generally, he was in Los Angeles. So He, he really does have a, like a James Elroy love of like L.A. Because yeah. like, James Elroy is obsessed with it L.A. Has, like, it, it is a similar kind of thing to, to Boogie Nights, too, where yeah, you can yeah, tell yeah, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson lived there. It wasn't just someone who was like, oh, I'm from the Midwest, and do, this is how it works. Do you, do you like, know? He gets the, the fucking donut shop right. He gets all of these things correct. We, we need to shout out that, that scene where they're turning all the neon sign. Yeah, uh, that's that a is great fucking scene. Beautiful. I like you it. could, if that, I could make that my screensaver, I fucking would. Yeah, it's just um, it literally is just a bunch of like famous old neon signs from Hollywood: yeah, Musso and Frank's, the so first good. Taco Bell, like Der Wiener Schnitzel, like everything that would have been appropriate for that era, just kind of lighting up. One I fucking after the love other. it, dude. It was like very just a solid. And, and that's it. It must be like about a thirty-second sequence or something. Yeah. But they, he does it. He just fucking goes, exactly. Goes, goes, he goes, takes ah. the time. I mean, and that's just like with Cliff Booth and the mac and cheese. Like, there's a version of that scene where you cut around to the key parts. But because he does the whole ritual and the ritual feeding, yep. uh, feeding how he feeds, feeds Brandy and all that other stuff, it just creates this atmosphere that he does and it's because he has patience and the ability to do it yeah um which is what i still think about his movies even the ones i don't like are like yeah attention to detail and attention to i don't need to fucking cut every 30 seconds like that's not how he makes movies and that's insanely refreshing when every other fucking movie i've seen this year in theaters largely has been a big studio movie that does fucking cut cut go 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 we gotta go we gotta move like, it's impressive when the Avengers movie takes, like, 30 minutes out to acknowledge that half the world disappeared. Like, that's a well, that, win. Because, but, then even, <laughs> but even then, like, it's just like, oh, you're doing leftovers. Yeah, but a very <laughs> like, light PG-13 yes. version of the leftovers. Right. But it's still, like, it's extraordinary when they take time from the rigmarole of those movies to do something. Yeah. And this movie is all that. Pa- uh, Paul, really, you know, we were talking earlier really about, we were talking about earlier, oh, Quentin Tarantino makes movies only he likes. I'm like, no, nah, Paul Thomas Anderson makes movies that only he <laughs> yeah, likes. Yeah. And like, if you get it, For you sure. get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is making like, I'm going to make a movie about an eccentric dressmaker and you guys can show up if you want to, but that's fine. But Quentin doesn't, he would never make that movie. No. He would always make a movie like this one right. where he wants a big crowd to show up. Um, I, I love Tarantino because he gives in to the best and worst parts of cinema, which is like, yeah. you came here for the blood, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, came fuck for, yeah. For hot people, cool people, and yeah. blood and guts. You, you came here for bread. Brad Pitt, got it all. Brad Pitt doing cool shit, right? And it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's like, you came here to watch this guy jerk off, or have his wife jerk him <laughs> off in a mirror, right? Yeah. Okay, it's great. A power dynamic thing, for sure. Um, you came to watch this guy drink torpedo fuel, right? And to be fair, I love both of those filmmakers. I, yeah, right. No, I'm not shitting on Paul. I love Paul Thomas. But I'm he just is saying. Much, that's the thing about Quentin that I think is, is really interesting is that, you know, 
a lot of the press around this movie that's been very good is like, hey, Sony fucking knocked out of the park. They paid a lot of money for this movie, but it's made a ton of money. Has uh, it really? It has that's made good. a really a good opening. And a bunch of, did you notice there are a bunch of old people with us at the theater? Yeah. That was crazy and, to me. So that's that's kind of the thing that has been a, uh, a story around this movie is like, fucking adults are showing up to movies. This doesn't happen anymore. You have to make a big four quadrant family entertainment blockbuster in order to get people out of the house because... You can't have rough edges. They don't really... Yeah. And, and, and adults don't really go to the movies by themselves right. as much anymore. That's the, the, the conventional wisdom. And they're like, oh, but once upon a time, Hollywood proves that differently. And, and I would say to that, like, well, but in this case, Quentin the IP he's the thing people show up for like when you know uh, James Gray or some other like some filmmakers who make some some um, make only grown-up movies and don't make a lot of money off them um, that's the kind of that would if 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 James Gray made a movie uh, and it made a ton of money I would be convinced yeah or even Paul Thomas Anderson honestly because like you say his movies are very prickly now but I think Quentin is still about crowd pleasing and like he's I, I, so I good agree. he's I really good that. at it yeah. still like I he he so. definitely like and I think Hateful Eight was probably the most bitter thing he's ever made uh, maybe since like. Reservoir Dogs or something. You're, but you're making just, me re-examine. I I do. I love that fucking movie. I'm I gonna go know. back and watch it because I want to watch it with the the framing of we now also live in a country that is like cut down the fucking middle. God damn it! But we're gonna talk about politics in a brutal way. But that's like it, that's a <laughs> thing. When I watched that movie, it was more like this is nasty, and I think I could. There's a version of it I could see where it's like, nah, this is just true, and it maybe plays differently because of that. And it still probably is unpleasant in the way that not... This movie is very pleasant. And it's probably his yeah, most... Yeah, I think you, we walked out and you are like, that's probably the most positive movie he's ever... Posi- like, it's definitely the yes. most positive ending he's ever had to yes. one of his movies. But, um, God, it's just like a bunch of laugh lines and then he gets to go up like, the flamethrower, it still works, thank goodness. Like, it's just so funny how they how they bring it down from that fucking weird-ass ending. That's the thing. He could have just ended that with like a... Just like I don't know, some guitars. Like yeah. a, a lesser director would have had him do the flamethrower and be like, "What the fuck just happened?" And then yeah. f- cut to black. Right. But he took that time to ramp down and say, "No, no." He, he they set this up at the beginning where he's like, oh, "Can you believe I live next to Roman Plansky? He's, I've yep. never even fucking talked to him." Right, right. And at the end, guess what? He gets to talk to Sharon Tate yeah. on through the intercom. And, what, and it's another funny. thing, uh, minor bit I love before we move on. I'm sorry. Uh, is the way he treats Roman Plansky. Uh, he's a in doofus. a fair amount of it because he has to be because he was yeah, president. Yeah, but he doesn't have a lot of speaking lines. But he is a total doof. He's wearing yeah. this crazy, like, fucking Austin Power. Dude, he looking, looks like Austin Power. He Powers. looks like Austin It's Powers. ridiculous. Um, and, you know, he barely talks. Yep. And the only f- real lines on screen to a camera he has is him yelling at a dog. Yep. Uh, so he's immediately meant to just be taken as a total joke. Everyone thinks he's a putz. Everyone knows he's going to fuck. Like, literally, Stephen Queen says, like, one day he's gonna fuck something up, and I'm and like, and then he's gonna be the yeah, yeah guys, yeah, yeah, you have yeah. no idea. <laughs> but, but like, the, the writing was on the wall, maybe in the movie at least for their version of Roman. I really like that because you know the revisionist version maybe has him as a as a like oh tragic outlier to this, and then it doesn't even matter because he's not there when it happens, which is true to right. life. And then it doesn't matter because Rick Dalton and Cliff right. took care of him. And ba- and Mandy, all right, Brandy. We got. We have to wrap this up. I'm sorry. Yes, we have other shit to talk about. Anything else for posterity, Ben? Oh man, I don't know. I really, really like this. It's movie. a great movie. Yeah. I really like. Another good shout out scene is Leo's uh, breakdown in the trailer after he fucks up it's the takes, so good. where it's like jumping around. Yeah. So that is a new thing. Tarantino never really does the, jump the guns. little like three second skips. Exactly. It's the very kind of, the French yeah. new way of kind of stopping. Yeah. Um, which he does with uh, Oliphant with his hat at one point. There's I a scene where that. he comes in with his hat off and then it's yeah. on his head. I don't. I'm not sure what to make of that, but like. Other things like the beginning with Pacino's character who says, I love the bullets, and you go, and then it cuts to the machine. Like, that's yep. that's new for him. He doesn't usually do those kind of snap cut stuff. So that was cool. And yeah. I mean, so it's nice to see. Um, I was telling you about this when we were leaving the movie, but uh, his editor for all his movies prior to, from Bastards prior, is this woman named Sally Menke, and she's a fucking genius. She was the one who was able to take his two and a half hour movies and almost always make them go by like yeah. nothing. And she was just. He was. Uh, he always talked about their relationship is like it's very equivalent. You know, I ask her how's this scene play. She says it plays too long, and he he's he doesn't listen to most people on that front, but he listened to her. Right. And so you could see how his movies were very much helped by her. And I was watching Bastards, and then thinking about the stuff that came after. I'm like, yeah, the Django and Hateful Eight especially feel yeah. loaded, yeah. loaded, yeah. and yeah, they absolutely. don't know exactly when to stop a bit or or to tighten it up. And this one was probably the first one I've seen since then that I'm like, okay, I think he's figured out a way. To work so is with he? Do, who is he working with now? Somebody else. I think okay. it's one of her proteges. But so sure. it's still within there. But like this was the first one where I'm like, yeah, there are some stuff that is maybe a little shaggy and overdone. But there are other scenes that like 
he cuts the silence out of essentially. And yeah. like there's that, that I, I really like that scene specifically where he's yelling himself, which is at first funny and then kind of depressing by the time he's threatening to kill himself in the mirror. But the, uh, it's pretty upsetting. Like it's fucking yeah. whiskey sours. It's just so funny. But like, like you kind of like it's catharsis because that character is taking him. Like, yeah. The things that you beat yourself up over are not as bad as his things. Exactly. And so you're watching him just be like, fuck but, like idiot. Like, I've done that before where I've gotten done with the conversation. I'm like, what the fuck? I just yeah. sounded like an idiot. Like, yeah. what the and fuck it, did I even say it, that? Like, and yeah. it, thank God it's, you know, it's an actor. So yeah. it's like, it doesn't, he's not actually going through right, it. But like, you right. know, people have gone through it. And right, that's right. what makes that scene work for me. It's, it's really, like, and then like, that he comes back and gives that great scene. And it's like, I, I've, and it genuinely is a great scene. That was another instance of like, he's, he set me up for a fall and then he just, he sets the tension and then just twists he backs the other, off. He's twisting yeah. the other direction. Same thing with the Spawn Ranch scene where he's like, uh, oh, he actually is here. He's probably in bad shape, but yeah, everything she says yeah. is right. And right. I guess we're going back this way. Um, what a great movie. Like, what, what good fun. If, if Certainly, if you don't like Tarantino, I would say skip it because a lot of his hallmarks are still there. If you don't like the ultraviolence or the <laughs> whatever else about him you find objectionable. I, I will say, you know, if, if it's... If it's any of his uses, like the N-word and stuff, like that's not in this movie. Nope. Um, no one says the N-word. Nope. Not really at all. Yeah, I mean, but there's, all, there's, also, some, there's some Mexican slurs in here and there. That yeah, certainly... but there also aren't like any black people. There no. aren't really any people of color in the, in the no. cast. No, so you could, true. You could take him to task for that. But sure. Like, hey, I mean, and, and, you know, maybe some amount of the thrust of the movie is that <laughs> the old white guy should have stuck around for longer. But I don't know that I, again, I don't entirely buy that he It's thinks, like a bad read of the fucking movie. I don't though. think that he thinks that just preventing this one event changes everything. I think it no. is literally just some grace note for these few people, and that's it. Um, but, yeah, it's a really fucking great movie. And a really great summer movie. Like, just a fucking... I, it is I, his, I needed this fucking movie, dude. It is I his just, most hangouty movie since Jackie Brown. Yes. Where it just allows you to just sit and chill. The fucking chemistry between uh, Booth and fucking... Yeah. Dalton is like so fucking good. like just the idea, yeah. But like you can tell that like clearly Leo is the more like old buddy. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm terrible. Oh, he's got that. Like, he's got that stutter. Yeah. Like I really why why was it's the such stutter? a? I mean, it's a great performance, really. Like he imbues the character with so many like well, not pitiable traits, but traits that make he's, him. I don't know. If he's he pitiable. doesn't feel like. So Burt Reynolds is more of a blowhard, I think. Oh, from what dude, I've known, hundred percent, thousand percent, a thousand fucking percent. But it's like, how do you take a character like that and make him somewhat sympathetic? And I think Rick Dalton does it because, like, you really there doesn't feel like there's an ulterior motive of I just love the booze and women. I think he really just wants to be doing his job. Okay, back up. Yeah. This guy takes his job seriously when he's at the bar by himself right. and he's playing the tape recorder. Like yeah. that is that's not exactly that's not a, that's like, not a throwaway scene. That's he he is an actor. He is he learning is, his lines. He is a yeah. working actor, right? And he takes it seriously. Yeah. And he, but if if he just was like, "Oh, I didn't get the last rack cuz I was too drunk." Like yeah. it would have not worked. It, if there wasn't the anger at himself and us seeing him actually doing yes. it and all these other things that make him an actual actor or wor- a working person. And like, and, and the, the setup yeah. is great because he's on the set and he's all thumbs. Yeah. Like he, he just he seems out of step, right? right. He's, he's kind coughing of coughing everywhere. He's coughing like, a lot yeah. and you're like, "Oh, does he have lung cancer?" Like yeah. he's like, "Hey buddy, where's I'm Rick Dalton. Where's the there's the villain's tab uh, saloon?" Yeah. Like it starts all thumbs. He's just kind of a fucking mess. And you're like, oh, he's just, it's just going to be another washed up fucking actor. Right. right? No, motherfucker. Nope. It's like a, it, Shakespeare. It, Sexy Hamlet. Kind of, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> you're, by the end of that scene where he's like nailing his lines. Yeah. And he throws the girl on the ground and she's totally, she has <laughs> yeah, little pads. It's so cute. It's great. Um, I was, I was like, no, this is yeah. excellent. And I, I, I know what you definitely mean about like, I need this movie. And it's especially, maybe it's me because I'm a little bit more... Like I, tr- I keep up with movies enough, and I just see so much stuff that is in that four quadrant giant budget realm. And like, it's not to say I don't enjoy some of it, but to see someone come along and make a movie that is is for grownups, like it really it does register. It's as for like, grownups and is not easily marketable because if you look at that trailer, right. it's literally only the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, and, basically, and, it, and it, I could see plenty of people walking out and be like, "That was boring. Why did that even exist? Who were those crazy people?" Well, then you fucking... <laughs> because they don't explain the right. Manson murders in any detail at all, which they I don't think they need to. And it, I don't know because I think the movie works with or without it. And yeah. if you go home afterwards and look up what happened, and you go, "Holy shit!" Okay, yeah, like I think it snaps into focus as soon as you kind of want to do that but it is a movie that it 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 asks a bit more of its audience than just sit back and have fun and but see all right so here's my question this movie could not what, do you know what the budget was offhand uh, i do i do not it's like 90 million it's it's, it's so expensive not right, for, so, it's expensive for him but it's nothing compared to 
Could you ever imagine a world where he goes, all right, I guess I'll only produce this for Netflix? Right. No. I that's don't, the question. I don't think so. But that's the direction where we're going, dude. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why he's getting out of it. <laughs> like, I think that's he's, why he's... Whatever, dude. He says he is. I, I, you know, he's he's getting close to 60. I mean, he's not young, per se, anymore. And uh, the way that he likes to give movies to people in the you know the cinema, blah, yeah. blah, blah, like that is kind of changing. And did I think, he go out on the road for? He, he did the same thing with Hateful Eight, right? He yeah. went on on a road. And he show. did a, he did a seventy millimeter version of this. I don't know. If oh, he did, did he really? I don't think he did the road show like he did for Hateful Eight. But, uh, uh. but in yeah, there were places in Brooklyn playing at seventy. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, he's still a guy who shoots on film. He has to go fucking find Kodak and be like, "What can you make me this stock?" Because I'm Quentin Tarantino, and they're like, "Okay." Uh, it's like you, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Christopher Nolan. We're the only pe- you're, you're making film for three people now. That's about it. Um, oh, Christopher Nolan, because they, they they also have the clout to say, "Hey, make me more film Kodak," and they go, "Okay." <laughs> Man, did you know that like the fucking off off fucking offline storage. For like CERN, mm. so you know, like CERN is like the Big Hadron Collider. Yeah, yeah, they they don't store that shit on hard drives. They store it on fucking magnetic tape. Fucking what? The same technology that your VCR uses. It's a well, jazz drive. What are you talking about? Yeah. Here? So, but like that, the other thing is that it's completely hack proof because it's fucking uh, magnetic fucking yeah, tape. Yeah, that's true. You can't that's hack true. into a VHS tape, yeah, motherfucker. You can't fucking RFID up to it or anything. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. You, I mean, you can demagnetize it like an asshole. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it rots. There's that. But too, it just. But. I'm sure uh, those people are just like, well, Quentin wants it on. Yep. I guess we have to make this tape. You know, just to the point where when when Al Pacino talks about watching Rick Dalton's shows, he names what millimeter of film stock for both the TV and the movies. (laughs) And shows it being loaded into the projector. Shows the film canisters on the floor. I kind of wish Pacino was in it a little bit more. I do really like Mr. Schwarz. Mr. Schwarz. (laughs) It's Schwarz. Schwarz. I love the the killing. (laughs) I am a little bit disappointed he did not plug Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, no. As he did in Jack that and might Jill. have been on the cutting room floor. We'll see. Uh, I do How, know that he is speaking of Netflix. He has saw, talked about doing a longer version when it comes on Netflix. Uh, of what? Of Once Upon a Time. So adding, adding back in more cut, cut footage. Oh, you, oh, you oh, saw oh, in, like the, a, like a recut, in the yeah. credits, Tim Roth is yeah. in it as cut. I'm so annoyed by that. <laughs> Which is super funny. What do you think he was? I don't know. I don't know. I wonder who. Yeah, I wonder if he was a famous person or if he was just Tim Roth. He was um, a scumbag on the ranch. I, I wish he was just his character from Hatefully. Uh, <laughs> the the haberdashery man. Yeah, no. Uh, I, yeah, I will watch it again. And, if he and, puts there, more shit in. and there was an Australian lady. That's right. Zoe Bell. Because you got to keep fucking keep the those. fuck did you do to my fucking girl? I, I want to shout the scene out so good. of like just a, just a hint of violence is that he, fucking Brad Pitt throws <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Lee into a car. And it looks so good. Oh, yeah, it does. It look, And it sounds good. Like everything. And it is it is that like. Oh, when he yeah. hits, there's a machine that pulls back yes. and makes the dent. Like, yeah. It is all it's so good real looking. Shit. Yeah. Like, it looks awesome. I think the only CGI he's really done in his movies is the planes. Like the planes in Kill Bill, and there's a plane in this movie that's probably also CGI, but everything else, practical. 100%. Yeah. Okay. They didn't do like a map thing, like to do like probably for the skylines and stuff, right? Yeah, but it, yeah. but it's it's the way it's handled is like it's never just like oh here's the Capitol Records building, but like, like all those signs, all those billboards, all those marquees, all those cars, all that stuff was. Yeah. Found, made, bought, yeah. whatever. Man. Uh, so you know, I think a lot of the reason it probably cost ninety grand or ninety million for for a movie about three people essentially and no fucking beams of light from the sky or alien armies is because they <laughs> meticulously recreated that shit and created his own shit. I mean, bounty law and all those things are not real, but they sure look like they belong there. Oh, that cigarette ad after the credits is so, <laughs> so fucking, fucking good. Good. Uh, it's like spitting and they taste like shit. This fucking tastes like shit. And red apple cigarettes are the you know. The, the cigarettes of every Quentin Tarantino movie, I think. <laughs> They're in every movie except for... Nope. They're probably not in Hateful Eight or Django because they didn't exist then. Uh, but Red Apple Cigarettes are absolutely in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp yes, Fiction, Jackie yes, Brown. Yes, yes, A lot of those fake brands show yeah. up throughout. But All right. I think that's it. We should move on. I don't think we can do it. We might be, yeah, it might be too late. Push it, push it out next week. Yeah. Push it out next week. Well, fine. we're going to talk. I don't want to spoil what the fuck we're talking we're about. We're going to talk about a show that's real old, so we can keep going. Yeah. So if you like 90s shit. Yeah. And 90s psychoanalysis. Mm. Yeah. Catch us. Catch our next episode. I agree. That's uh, going to be good. I'm sorry you're not on top of video game shit. Um, yeah, we're just kind of playing old games. Yeah. Oh, I no, mean, you're, you're playing. I'm playing Fire Emblem. Yeah, you're but, playing Fire Emblem. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's just nothing. It's the summer, I think. I have been actually watching a lot more movies just in general. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about watching Hateful Eight and Glorious Bastards. Yeah. And uh, I would say I didn't watch Hateful Eight yet, but I'm probably do that. But I watched Glorious Bastards. I watched 
Jackie Brown again. I watched Eyes Wide Shut again. Um, <laughs> I watched Shining. Yeah, we're just yeah. kind of going through the it's, backlog. It's what I, I do when, like, so TV is not around, essentially, so I slot in something else. Dude, uh, I'm, 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 and I'm getting I'm, better at doing this thing where if it's a movie I've seen, I can watch half of it and then watch another half later. And I don't have to put aside that's a lot of self-control. two hours and 45 yeah. minutes for... Uh, maybe it's because I've gotten used to that format because that's kind of how Netflix runs their TV shows is they're yeah. essentially movies that are just chopped up. Yeah. So they don't have like act break cliffhangers like a normal TV show. They just have a like, well, that's the end of the scene. And you can go, okay, that's the end of this episode. <laughs> and I mean, it works especially good with Bastards because it has the chapter. Yes. Are we going to talk about Veronica Mars at some point? We should. Probably in a month or so. I, 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 I should read a refresher on it because I don't remember the first three seasons empirically have you watched the fourth season but yeah i watched the fourth and i i I think i'm in the minority that really liked it Um, did most people not like it so people liked it but the ending is contra controversy very very big kind of i uh shift in where the show is all right don't spoil it that i really liked and i think a lot of people really didn't like but i think it's really interesting like like people who are obsessed with it didn't like or just like uh, a a portion of the fan base had then fuck you know what ben fuck those people it's a shipper thing all right. <laughs> so, oh my God, dude. That's exactly All right. right. All right. We have to call it. We are calling it. Uh, watch, watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Absolutely. It's I an think, excellent movie. You know, I think even if you don't like violence, go fucking watch it. Yeah. I Come mean, on. you know. What do you have to lose? It, it, it is. Besides it, your innocence. Yeah, you're right. But it's just, it, it, if you don't like Quentin Tarantino's stuff because you felt his recent stuff is a lot, like, much more about the bloodletting and much less about the cool fun. Uh, if this, you, this if, puts the cool fun if, back if in. If you want to feel okay with watching a bunch of people get brutalized. Yes. Fucking go watch this movie because yeah. you can't root for them. In this in a similar way to Inglorious Bastards, where it's like they are brutal to the Nazis, but also no, they're no, no, no. fucking ben, Nazis. Ben, ben, that's not it. Don't that don't Nazi shame. Because that's where we're at now. <laughs> the German. The yeah. German will know us by our the... Oh my god. Alright, take us up. <laughs> Alright, we out.